The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of us, not many of you, were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is what my pastor said to me on the day of my ordination. He said, Josh, this is all kind of crazy, don't you think? Kind of silly, rather foolish. Foolish, I mean, as in the whole ordination thing, as in you becoming a pastor, you becoming a pastor. I mean, don't these people know you? But nevertheless, here you are today becoming a pastor. Foolishness be blessed. And in many ways, are we not here today to celebrate foolishness? We are standing in a long line of foolishness, 2,000 years of such, and perhaps from times beginning before. My pastor does not just walk around saying things like that. That was part of the sermon that he gave on the day of my ordination. I chose the same passage we heard today from 1 Corinthians, that one about the foolishness of God. And I chose it because at the time I thought, and indeed I still think, that it's not just humbling, but also unthinkable, and honestly a little foolish that God would call me to be a pastor. We are gathered today to celebrate the foolishness of God. It feels a little bold, a little presumptuous, maybe a little disrespectful to talk about the foolishness of God, to call God foolish. But that's the word we find in our second reading. At least 
five times. And when we talk about the foolishness of God, we are standing on a tradition that stretches back thousands of years because throughout the history of our faith, people have marveled at the foolishness of God and embraced it for themselves. We've used this word foolish to point out that so many of God's actions fall somewhere between silly and misguided. According to the ways of this world, God's actions often don't make sense. They don't quite add up. According to the wisdom of this world, God often comes across as a bit misguided, nonsensical, a little confused about the way things are supposed to really work. And as he wrote this passage, Paul admitted that the central claims of Christianity sounded like foolishness to the people living at that time. He lived in a world sharply divided between Jews and Gentiles. And for both groups, these followers of Jesus were spouting just absolute foolishness. Paul wrote that the Greeks desired wisdom, and nothing about Jesus fit into wisdom as they understood it. The notion that Jesus, a man who was crucified, that he was actually the son of God and the savior of the world was just foolish in a culture that valued strength and power. See, they already knew about gods and already knew what gods were like, dominating, strong, in control, ruled by their passions, concerned with their own well-being, demanding obedience, and punishing as they pleased. So Jesus, he just seemed foolish. Why would God give away power, share wealth, identify with the poor and and those who have nothing to offer? Why would God evoke love rather than demand obedience? Serve humbly rather than rule with might. Show grace instead of doling out punishment. Why would God die? And not just die, but be executed by the state on a cross, a form of torture that was intended to demean and shame. It all sounded so foolish. And not just to Gentiles, but but to many Jewish people as well. They'd been waiting for the Messiah to come for a long time, and they expected him to come as a conquering hero at the head of an army, to strike down their enemies and restore them to power. And instead, here was this tiny group of followers trying to tell them and convince them that the Messiah had already come in the form of a little peasant who gave away all that power and loved his enemies, and found glory in serving, and then willingly offered up his life. Paul wrote that the Jewish people demanded signs, and the cross was a clear one. It says in the Old Testament 
that anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. Jesus was crucified on a wooden cross. How could he possibly be the Messiah? It sounded foolish. And if we're honest, sometimes the Christianity the claims that Christianity makes still seem kind of foolish, don't they? I think that's part of the reason we're often so reluctant to share our faith, to talk about Jesus with other people. We don't want to come across as foolish. So we allow that fear to silence us, and we say nothing. But this morning, this morning I want to declare that our faith is foolishness, and that rather than trying to run from it, We should embrace that foolishness because it is the foolishness of God and it is stronger than any human wisdom. At some level, it is foolish to love our enemies, to forgive those who wrong us, to abandon the desire for revenge. It is foolish to wage peace in such a violent world, to give without expectation, to love without thought of whether or not a person is worthy, to value people over money, to favor the weak and lowly who can't do anything for us in return. It's downright silly to give away power, to seek the well-being of others before ourselves, to sacrifice for people and share our resources generously. It's nonsense to offer grace to those who've harmed us, to live in a community with people who, let's admit it, sometimes annoy us. None of you, don't worry. To listen and learn from those who disagree with us, to be vulnerable with others, to admit our weaknesses, to love so recklessly that we open ourselves up to being hurt and taken advantage of. I mean, my gosh, it is almost embarrassing to look at this mess of a world and say that God is at work, that goodness is on the move, that grace and new life are growing between the cracks of what is broken. And it is perhaps most foolish of all to believe that God would choose, choose to work through human beings, through a vessel as poor and unfit as the church, through flawed and finite people like us. All of this seems foolish in the eyes of the world. And it is. It's God's foolishness. We worship and follow a God who is foolish in the best in the most amazing ways, a God whose motive is love and who never misses an opportunity to love, even when it looks foolish. And it may still seem wrong to call God foolish, but we do so because our own world is so broken, our own ways so twisted, our own wisdom so lacking that God appears foolish to us, yet in truth it is we who are foolish and in need of being changed. It's clear that we need God 
to change our ways of seeing and thinking, so seduced by this world's love of money, power, strength, and status, so that we can embrace and share the foolishness of God. Our wisdom has led us to believe that God is like this ultimate and best version of us, that God is like we are, but like at the supreme level, caring about what we care about and embodying what we find important. But God is not some maximalist version of human wisdom. God is something else, something other. God's ways are not our ways. God's wisdom is not our wisdom. And so Jesus came to reveal God to us, to show us what God is really like in all of God's glorious foolishness and folly. Jesus sought to unchange our understanding of God, of ourselves, of of what real wisdom and true foolishness is. The cross of Christ may seem foolish, But through that foolishness, God has saved us, bringing salvation to this world. Through that foolishness, God has offered us grace and new life and forgiveness freely, and we need never to try to earn it. We have been saved by the foolishness of God. We have fallen in love with the foolishness of God. And so this morning I say, let's be foolish. Some of you already have a head start. (laughs) Our people have been looking foolish for thousands of years. I mean, think about it. A man standing at the edge of the sea, looking down at his walking stick, believing God can use that to part the waters. Or a king dancing as the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the city, not caring how he looked as he celebrated and praised God with his whole being. Or a woman pouring expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and then drying them with her hair, trusting that God would see this as the act of worship and devotion she intended it to be. Or a preacher who led this country through the civil rights movement and then willingly lost all of his support as he protested the war in Vietnam. Or a sister in Calcutta who labored in the slums because she believed the lives of those considered untouchable were of great value and that her foolish acts of love could change this world one act at a time. Or a Dutch man named Dirk Willems, who in the 16th century was persecuted for his Christian faith. He was arrested and locked away where he slowly starved and froze until eventually he escaped, and I'm not kidding, down an actual rope he made by tying rags together. He fled across a frozen lake and the ice held, maybe because he'd lost so much weight during his imprisonment, but the guard chasing him fell through and began to drown, screaming for help. And though it meant the others would catch up, even though it meant being imprisoned again, tortured again, even though it meant he would be killed, Dirk Willems turned around and saved the man chasing him. That 
faithful fool. I hope one day I get to meet him because I just find him so inspiring and I want to laugh together with him at the foolishness of God which has saved us and redeemed us and which has most certainly changed us. Man, we need God's foolishness after a week like this one. So much violence in our country. The news out of Memphis about what was done to Tyree Nichols is appalling, and it's evil, and it's really heartbreaking. And the Beatitudes we heard this morning offer us what we need, the foolishness of God that causes God to be found in places and with people we least expect. Today, the foolishness of God reminds us that those who mourn are blessed and they will be comforted. Today, the foolishness of God tells us that those who are working for peace in our world are blessed and children of God. And today, the foolishness of God testifies that all of us who are longing for something better in this world, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, will not be sent away disappointed or left empty-handed. So today we celebrate the foolishness of God and we renew our commitment to being God's fools in this world, to living in ways that show God's love and foolishness until the very notion of doing and being anything else just feels, well, foolish. Amen.